welcome to Living Heritage, a show about people engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep our heritage alive at the local level. I'm Wyatt Hirschfeld Shibley, and today's guest is Erin Callahan St. John. Erin is a full-time professional artist working in clay. She studied with her aunt Isabella St. John, a potter of 45 years, at Blue Moon Pottery, before attending the textile studies program at the College of the North Atlantic. Then, at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design University, she majored in ceramics with a minor in art history. Today, she is an active member in the local art and craft community, and from her studio in the Kitty Vitty Plantation, makes work based on the wildlife and folklore of Newfoundland. Hi, Erin. Thank you for coming on the show today. Um, so, uh, how did you get started making pottery? I've been uh, working in clay now for 17, 18 years, and I started with my aunt Isabella St. John. So she is a potter in the Outer Battery, Blue Moon Pottery, and she has taught hundreds, if not thousands, of students and turned them into potters or hobbyists. Mm, that's great. <laughs> and uh, what, um, what sorts of pottery do you make? Um, my production line is uh, t- is with uh, beer cups and shot glasses, and I make those in Kitty Vitty at the plantation. And uh, I've been doing the this production line for three years now, so it's beer cups and shot glasses with um, lots of Newfoundland slang and offensive language. And I think about this as um, setting Newfoundland language in stone. And um, in, in addition to those pieces, you also make some gallery pieces as well, is that right? Yeah, I do. Um, I like to make some large pieces, some platters and plaques, so functional and non-functional work um, as much as possible. So I can, you know, switch it up a little and take a break from making cups. You you mentioned, of course, your, your Aunt Isabella um, teaching you. So um, do you still tend to make pottery with her or has this become something you're doing more I guess on your own now um the last body of work that we we worked on together was in 2014 and that was an exhibition at the craft council and that was all um plaques and platters and we collaborated we collaborated on some pieces and then did our own individual work so that was um a huge show with 75 pieces at the main gallery at the craft council um, so now that I have my own studio space in Kitty Vitty at the plantation, uh, we don't work in the same space, um, but I've been uh, going over to her place to do some throwing, and it's a different environment, and it allows me to think about other products than my you know, daily production of the beer cups and the shot glasses. And, like, you know, I'll go over and borrow clay or we'll order clay together or sh- get some glaze materials. or So we, we're always in, um, in contact and asking each other's advice about products and sharing materials. That sounds great. Um, you mentioned clay, so um, the clay, do you order clay in or do you do you make clay or, or I guess yeah. sort of like start to finish, like what's sort of your process when you're actually making a piece? Well, um, there isn't really anyone using much local clay. Uh, it is essentially a part-time job to dig clay, process clay, store clay, and... Um, and it's uh, it's a lot of work testing 
testing the clay, what else it needs added to it. Um, so, for example, when my aunt started 40, 45 years ago, she took a course with um, <coughs> Margot Meyer. And this course, I believe it had about 15 to 20 students. And they had one gentleman hired full-time to dig clay for this class. So to keep all these students uh, supplied with materials and processing the clay, it was a full-time job for one person. And um, so there is clay. There's clay in Newfoundland. There's deposits all around um, Newfoundland. And it is, you know, it is good clay. People use it or have used it. Um, but again, you need space, uh, material, and time to do that. So right now, I order my clay from Ontario, so mm. most people do. Often, we'll do like a group order, so we'll all go in on, you know, a pallet full of clay that's like 3,000 pounds kind of thing. So we split the shipping. The more clay you order, the cheaper the shipping will be, or you get a better deal on the quantity. So, yeah, okay. we like to go in on it together. Um, my process is different than most potters here in Newfoundland. I'm doing uh, hand-built, so I don't use a wheel for my work. Everything is rolled out in slabs like, um, like pie crusts kind of thing. So a rolling pin, rolling out the clay, and then cutting out the templates, uh, stamping words into the clay. And I use a printing press typeset from my aunt. So this is an antique typeset, like letterpress lettering. Um, and uh, that's, that's what I use for all my cups. And um, is that sort of similar to Isabella's process, or does she actually like throw on a on a wheel? Or she is a master potter in that she is mastered throwing on the wheel, um, which can take um, decades to really figure out. <laughs> it is challenging in many ways, um, and she hand builds as well, and. Um, at school, I learned like slip casting, which is a whole other technique. It's not something I use right now, but as part of a NASCAD's ceramics degree, you um, you learn every type of ceramic essentially. So you're with the slip casting. That's a plaster mold, and you pour liquid clay into it. So it's a totally different uh, approach, and it's more it's the technique used in mass production. So like you're uh, restaurant, dinnerware, you know, sinks, toilets, those are all made like in a slip cast mold in a factory kind of thing. So I learned that process and I, I've used like the plaster, uh, I've used plaster to make my own molds and uh, stamps and stuff, but I don't use it so much in my everyday um, you mentioned um, the clay having to be worked with a bit to make sure it has enough water and that sort of thing. I know it's for making clay, but when you when you buy clay, is that something you still have to kind of look out for or no? No, when you buy clay, it is uh, packed in a box, like a 45, 50-pound box, and uh, it's got it's in plastic bags. So when you open up that bag, it's perfect, ready to go. 
so it's been perfected and tested by um, uh, either Pottery Supply House or Tucker's or the main companies that I buy from. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what makes kind of like a perfect piece of clay to work with? Uh, it really depends on what you're doing. On the wheel, soft clay is preferable. Um, if you're uh, like when I'm rolling out clay and stamping into it, um, a little, a little bit more stiff is is a bit better for me. So I'll just like let it air for even half an hour, and then it can actually maintain its shape when I let go. Okay. Um, if you're carving into clay, which I really enjoy doing in my plates, that's more of like a leather hard um, uh, state. So it's like carving into like butter that you take out of the fridge almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so some of the pieces you're making now that you're selling, you said kind of have like local sayings or... Um, we'll say colorful phrases, yeah, <laughs> uh, that sort of thing. Um, how did you get started doing that? Um, I was trying to figure out. This is when I was so uh, two thousand and two thousand and fourteen. I was trying to figure out a product that I could make that would be a production line, essentially, and trying to figure out what I could make thousands of essentially for you know to support myself and um, I did a residency on Fogo Island with uh, tracks so tilting recreation and cultural society and they have two um, houses they've got restored so they're two 200 uh, year old houses and it's an amazing residency program uh, managed by the community of tilting and so they were interested in looking for ceramics and found my aunt's shop and she recommended that um, I go check it out. And so when I was there, I met lots of local people, obviously, and you can hear the like thick Irish accents there. And some of the sayings that I heard and learned there and read about really caught my attention. And that's, that's where the idea of putting Newfoundland slang and sayings on cups happened and that's where I made like my first shot glass and uh, yeah developed that line okay and are, are, are the sayings you put on them are they all ones that you heard there or are they things that you say yourself or like how do you choose what goes on on a shot glass or on a, on a pint glass um, when I started uh, I was thinking more of like drinking culture and it I also used some like uh, places around Fogo Island and those were obviously very popular popular with the local people there and um, so then I started listening to you know oh people's people were making suggestions immediately like oh you haven't done this one oh you haven't done this one how can you not have this one so um, as soon as it started there were it was just I got waves and waves of suggestions and requests and uh, so it was yeah, a lot of sayings that I've used growing up, new ones that I've heard, ain't like old sayings like who knit you is one that my aunt suggested, and that was an early one that I started using. Then the more colorful language kind of like seeped in even last year, last year or the year before. 
and uh, you know it was a little bit like risky or daring at first and people immediately responded like a uh, posting one photo of was like brought 10 people into the studio wow. like emails and stuff so I was like all right this this is working okay but this people want to hear this and you know thinking about your mom or your you know your nan or something you know getting scared in the kitchen or like you know something happens you know it was just the the colorful language that comes out of their mouth when uh, when people get scared or excited or delighted that kind of Mm-hmm. Those expressions uh, really, really, um, like, uh, you know, they struck a chord with people. So that, like, nostalgia uh, and that connection there, mm. people love it. <laughs> mm. The people who buy them, because I guess when they buy them at the plantation you're there, um, do they tend to be, like, local people then or, or I a mix? I have such a wide range of clients I've had grandmothers buying shot glasses for their like seven-year-old like grandsons like not realizing this is a shot glass or you know whatever like nan buys it for the grandkids and like the grandkids buy it for their nan like um it's kind of a all over it's all over the place with the audience local tourists tourists love it they don't understand it they want to learn and um that like newfoundlandia that culture of um you know wanting to be part of this culture i don't know there's there's so much uh desire i guess to be included in this newfoundland club i mean that's why screechings are so popular um just what is it about Newfoundland? So um, all summer long, I sell this product product to tourists, and um, and then in like Christmas, fall, I sell it to locals. And last year, I brought it. I brought uh, all this work to Toronto and did the one of a kind show, and it was really well received. People loved it. You know, every day. So it was an eleven day show. Every day, I would have. Newfoundlanders coming up to me, people who had just spent the summer in Newfoundland, people who were married to Newfoundlanders, work with Newfoundlanders, like every day I'd have amazing stories, people would be crying, talking about home, like it was amazing, Mm. that experience of traveling to Toronto (laughs) with this product. (laughs) Yeah, and um, there were three other Newfoundland companies there, or artists there, so like Graham Blair Woodcuts, we got Newfoundland Chocolate Company, and Buzz Threads t-shirts, and then myself. So out of 800 vendors, that's a really small Newfoundland representation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And people were very, very excited to see Newfoundland products there. Huh. That's interesting. You also mentioned that you do gallery pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, how do those differ from say like the the pieces that you sell they are pieces that uh, like take much longer to make it's generally it's exploring techniques i've learned in a workshop something i've thought about making and um you know i'm trying to figure out an idea and uh so often they're platters and plaques and and uh decorative plates as well so they're bigger more complicated and not something that uh, 
you know, just any tourist will walk into my studio and purchase. Um, yeah, so there, there's something that challenges me and challenges me creatively, uh, an idea, yeah, that I want to work out. And, um, yeah, something different to change up the production. Is there a difference in the, the people that buy, say, the shot glasses versus the ones that buy uh, those more kind of gallery pieces? Generally, it's a more more like a collector, someone who already knows about ceramics, um, has a, a ceramics collection at home, someone who understands what I'm doing. They don't necessarily want a beer cup or a shot glass. They rather have something more unique, the more one-of-a-kind, uh, knowing that it's the only one in, in existence or something like that is, yeah, it's a different buyer for sure. So you've talked a bit about uh, the things you're doing um, in terms of shot glasses, that sort of thing, and your gallery pieces. Is there anything you see kind of on the horizon, like anything that you'd like to explore, like to get into in the future? Uh, long term, next year I'll be moving to Bonavista and opening up my own shop and uh, developing a residency program in Bonavista. So that'll be a workshop space on Main Street and uh, on Church Street, workshop, gallery, and, um, and eventually a residency program as well. So that's kind of the bigger project that I'm thinking about right now. And sculpture in general is something that I'm always trying to figure out and think of. When I went to NASCAD, we had a lot of visiting artists, uh, visiting professors, a lot of new professors, and they were into sculpture and conceptual art. So uh, we had one amazing professor, Matt Widell, who essentially only made life-size pieces as large as him or larger, you know, up to like 16 feet installation work in California. That was phenomenal. You know, some of our projects were make a ceramic piece as big as you. Wow. So, <laughs> like, mosaic sculpture, pinch pots on the wheels, like, it was, an, it was a great challenge there to uh, step away from pottery and make something without borders or boundaries you mentioned obviously you you know learned uh pottery making through Isabella but I, I guess I've always kind of wondered too if this is something is this older than her in your family or was she kind of the first one uh she was the first one in our family and um yeah and she studied with Margot Meyer and um there's quite a few current potters um who studied with her as well so uh, Linda and David Hayashida learned with Margot and um, Gail and Jerry Squires as well. So they started, uh, I think Isabella was a year or so after them. Uh, but Margot Meyer brought studio pottery to Newfoundland. Okay. So 50, 60 years ago. Wow. And then, so Margot, Margot's daughter, Sophie, also studied ceramics. And they worked, they had their studio on Bell Island. And do you feel like kind of the techniques that I guess Isabella would have learned are those the same sort of techniques that you would have gotten from Isabella? Or do you feel like that's sort of changed over time a bit? Or, or? Well, I don't throw as much. And with that program, that one year intensive program, um, they were throwing and making every single day. So, 
and they were using kick wheels and you know they had a they had someone who was digging clay but they also had the opportunity to experience that themselves so dig their own clay and <laughs> work on the kick wheel so most of my time has been spent with um hand building and using plaster molds and draping clay over plaster molds to get shapes. Um, I'm trying to get a bit more into throwing now and really um, develop that skill. So I've been, I've been uh, going to Isabella's studio to uh, focus on that throwing and develop that more and incorporate that with my uh, newer gallery work. But uh, there's there's actually a documentary in somewhere in uh, the in Mun ar- ar- archives of an interview with Margot and she ta- she's in her studio it, it might even be a black and white film like it's amazing so she talks about the amount of time it takes to make something and uh, she describes it as handling a piece 26 times before it's finished from start to finish. Wow. And so there's like the attention to detail. And she started, yeah, so she used local clay as well. But um, her work you can find still, like people find their, these at uh, like Value Village and stuff. Oh, really? So you can like, you can still <laughs> find these pieces around. Wow, they, wow. They're kicking around and they're like a red clay, earthenware clay, very, it's a softer clay, um, but they're incredibly light mm. and like, some of them have like little ducks in the inside of the cups okay. or like goblets or uh, like she made very functional, like even like candlesticks, very functional work. And is, that, is that all local clay or, or no? Yeah, she worked with local clay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh. That's yeah. interesting. We talked a bit about your process in terms of like hand building and how that works. Um, but I guess say after that after you've actually you've described it sort of like like rolling out dough and that sort of thing it's like what would you do after that you you glaze Um, i guess (laughs) well there's a drying process so the clay is quite saturated with water i'm not entirely sure what it could be i think it's like 70 percent water um so it it dries i let you know my shot glasses and beer cups will dry for a week um, it's essentially all you need and then I'll load up the kiln so I can fit like a hundred beer cups in the kiln so once I have a hundred beer cups then I'll load them into the kiln and they get fired and that's called a bisque firing so it's a lower temperature um, firing so in in uh, Fahrenheit it's like 1728 wow. And then, uh, and then every all the pieces are glazed, so they're dipped in um, in uh, it's kind of a powdered glass, essentially mixed with water. So you can paint it on or dip these glazes, spray them, um, and uh, and then I put it in the kiln again, and it's a glaze firing, and that's the final firing, and it's about uh, it's. 2200 degrees so that's cone six and that's a like common mid-range temperature okay and is the kiln actually at the plantation okay yeah so it's it's amazing the the plantation has a kiln that has a kiln shed right outside the 
right outside the door. So little tiny cute yellow shed and uh, yeah so wheel my cart out full of all my delicate ceramics and then load up the kiln and um, yeah and I fire it so generally uh, it'll start at like five or six in the morning and it takes uh, the bisque firing is like eight hours and then a glaze firing is around ten hours Wow! Wow! and then it takes essentially the same amount of time to cool and um, at what stage, if you're going to carve the clay or like when you're pressing uh, like the, the letters into it, mm-hmm. at what stage do you do that? Is that after the drying or before the drying? Before the drying. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. When it's still soft. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. What, in your opinion, makes a good piece? I mean, that's kind of a difficult question. It's <laughs> very, it's kind of up to... You know, it's going to be different for everybody, essentially. I'm currently kind of interested in functional stuff. So I like anytime I go to a show, I love buying mugs, always collecting mugs. And that's that's what I think potters generally are drawn to. Uh, a well-made mug, a beautiful functional shape, something not too heavy, comfortable to hold in your hand. Potters, like... You can see them, you know, just the way they feel the cup, the way they hold it up, look at the bottom. You know, how does the bottom look? Is it messy? Do they pay attention? Is it completely different than the rest of the cup? Mm-hmm. You know, is it soft? Is it, like, soft to your lips? How does it feel when you drink from it? Glaze, you know, is there some amazing glaze technique that's being used you haven't seen before? Sometimes, like, there's just this one little square centimeter that's the perfect glaze this drip or something that Mm. sparkles or whatever in the right way and that's like that makes the piece but yeah there's so much variety there's so much that people make you know it's uh it's definitely hard it's kind of hard to describe that no for sure you know what would define like a piece that you're really happy with in terms of your Mm -hmm. own say style or production well, I guess with my shot glasses, I use this black clay and a red clay. They're, they are bare, mostly. And then you get this uh, metallic blushing around the edge of, uh, around, the, around the edge of the letters. And so with the black clay or the red clay, if it just goes a little bit over temperature, just that tiny little bit over cooked, you get that like uh, that blush okay. from the iron, I guess, in the glaze. So seeing details like that really, um, you know, for me marks a better a better piece. Right. Um, a smooth glaze covering the the uh, the cup, making sure again that it's soft, you know, comfortable to drink from. It's not crooked. <laughs> There's no sharp <laughs> edges. <Yeah. laughs> seeing seeing someone also just pick up a piece and you know feel see that connection with a piece or with the words or with the shape that is another level of just like being satisfied. You know, someone connecting with the work. Mm. Mm. Yeah, seeing it go to ho- like you know good homes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, someone who really appreciates it. So that's another level of of you know being satisfied you know mm-hmm. someone someone buys it <laughs> yeah. do you feel a certain attachment to to what you make or is it 
have you yeah. sold so many that you don't? <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. Not as much with the with the with the cups, I guess. I definitely have learned to let those go. The larger pieces, though, uh, which are definitely more one of a kind, it's it's trickier. Um, like the pieces I made at the summer workshop last last year in Lunenburg. Um, I have those on my wall, but they're like in my studio space. And uh, I guess instead of actually, you know, pricing them realistically, I I put a giant price tag on them so that you know they're on display and people can look at them, but. You know, unless you're really, really serious, you're not going to buy them. <laughs> and that, in that way, I can keep them around, but also uh, pretend that I'm ready to let go of them. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely do have like a, like a small private collection shelf in my studio that's like an inspiration shelf. Um, pieces that I've made that I, I feel like, yeah, I probably won't be able to do that again, so I'll keep that. <laughs> And a few other potters work on there, so they're you know they're not for sale. They're for me to uh, look at and take inspiration from. If someone were to walk in with like a lot of cash, <laughs> would you <laughs> would you be able to let one go? Do you think? Or no? Yeah, I think so. To the right person, you know, yeah. who's really appreciative. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show, and uh, people should check out your your pottery. Yeah, and come on down. We're open. All year round in Kitty Vitty at, at the plant. We've got new artists uh, coming in. And, um, yeah, we're always there working away. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been lovely. Anytime. <laughs> You've been listening to Living Heritage, a program of CHMR Radio and the Heritage Foundation of Newfoundland and Labrador.